Pastor Andy's here now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, every week when we sing songs, I mean, I, I enjoy certain forms of music, but I, I, when it comes to worship, you know, praising God through music, I really don't care what it sounds like. I care about what it says. And so every week when I'm thinking about the words we're singing, I, I, I like want to preach a sermon on every hymn. And, and so I, I always resist, but today I took notes. Um, First thing we sang was amen. Y'all know what amen means? So be it. Yeah, may it be so or so be it. And, uh, and, and if you can remember that song, the things we were talking about, it's like amen, amen, amen. We're saying so be it, Lord. That's a, that is a good thing to say. And that's why I love 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, as many as may be the promises of God. In other words, every one of them you can find in Christ, they are Yes. In other words, everything God told us in the Bible, Jesus purchased for us on the cross, and it's yes. So be it. Amen. <laughs> you know, you got to be careful when you say amen. You know, sometimes we amen things that doesn't sound right. Like, that guy's going to hell. Amen. <laughs> no, no, you, you, you want to you witness that guy. You don't want to, like, yeah, so be it. Let him go. Um, but anyway... And it says, and by the Holy Spirit, we give the amen. And so we say, so be it to God's promises. Secondly, we sang, holy, holy, holy. Now, I've noticed that that hymn through my life, uh, that a lot of times people, when they talk about church being boring, they say, we go to church, we sing, holy, holy. You know, and they make fun of that hymn. And, and do you realize that's the hymn that the uh, cherubim, uh, I mean, sorry, the seraphim are singing as they are flying around the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And when they do that, the foundations of heaven itself shake and smoke fills the temple. And then they do it again. <laughs> and everybody falls down worships and then they do it again and again and again and again. So, I mean, you don't like repetitive songs, you're going to be bored in heaven. Just saying. All right. Um, and I love that hymn, but I love that about the cherubim and seraphim. Because when I was a kid, you know, all angels, people talk about women being angels. You know, you think of an angel as this nice little fluffy thing, you know. And we, we give them feminine characteristics because they're always up in the air about something. Don't have an earthly thing to wear. I didn't say that, did I? Just kidding. It's just a joke, people. Don't come attack me. It's just a joke. The reality is that those words are always masculine. Now, I'm not saying angels are men or male. I don't know that, but they're presented in the male pronouns. And so is God. All right, just in case, you know, somebody's told you differently. God presents himself as father. There's meaning in that, in those words. But, but if you think about it, those little fat babies that are in medieval paintings that look like, you know, they put wings on little fat looking babies... And they call those cherubim. We think, oh, it's so. We even use that now as a term, like a baby with fat cheeks is. We don't say it anymore, but they're like a little cherub. People used to say, like a little angel. Well, actually, the cherubim are who are guarding the Garden of Eden, so that we can't get back in. Do you understand that? They are the guardians. They are the warriors of heaven's armies. It, not everybody in here will get this reference, but if, 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 if you don't get it and you'd like to, get the movie Thor. And there's a guy guarding Asgard. Cherubim make him look like a wimp, is what I'm trying to say here. 
That dude, is, they are just bad. And we're saying, holy, holy, cherubim and seraphim adore him. Why? Because they're his creation. And then we sang, I surrender all. I love that word, surrender. We talk about, oh, I found Christ. And no, you surrender to Christ, period. We are his slaves. We, 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 and the, we're scared to use that word in America because of our history. But I'm telling you, we are slaves to Christ. And we owe him everything. I love that song, I surrender. How can you surrender part? <laughs> okay, I'll give you this, but I ain't giving you that. You know, we, and then lastly, we sang about the name. The name. Yeah, I know you've noticed the signs around Stanton that say, save the name, and then the other signs say, but the name hurts. Uh, Rick, Rick Ellinger, I, I gave an uh, a idea this morning. Rick Ellinger cleaned it up for me. Would you put a sign in your yard if we had them that said, the name that saves and heals all hurts, Jesus? That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Amen. All right. Well, I hear the applause. We'll see about getting some then. Uh, I I would love to stick that in my yard, you know, in orange and purple. But anyway, that's another issue. We won't get in there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for getting that joke. We'll open Acts 4. You say, why'd you go through all that? Well, because parts... Part of that, it comes back to what we want to talk about today. And I call it Christian sharing. Woo, that's an exciting title for a sermon, isn't it? Christian sharing. But this thing goes deeper and stronger than you, than, than you might imagine. And, and I would just like to begin by kind of illustrating uh, uh, something that, that we, we can talk about. You see, uh, let me, before I say that, let me just say that in this passage, we're going to see two main things that aren't immediately obvious. And one is simplicity. Simplicity. Because what we think today is that we need a lot to live out our Christianity or to witness or do the things. We got to have a building. We got to have it heat and air because somebody complain. And if we overuse either one, they'll complain. We got, we got to have electronics and, and, and big choirs and singing and and I love all that stuff, by the way. We got to have certain, you know, programs and curriculum and everything. And all they had was Jesus in the Old Testament, and they turned the world upside down. They didn't have any of the modern conveniences that we have, and I'm not against them. I, I, we use them, and I, we will continue to use them. We don't have to go back to the first century. They also walked everywhere they went. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying we got to do that, but what I am saying is that there is a simplicity in Christianity that we and our religion complicate. We think we can't do something unless we have certain things. And, and the reason I, I, there's a second word, I'll tell you about it later. But the reason I clue into that is because of, of my own personality. And that is that if I get interested in something, I want to get that stuff. I want to get that, you know, that thing going. Uh, I, I, I want to buy the equipment that goes along with that. And, and I want it to be good equipment. And, and I go crazy sometimes with that. So much so, my kids, one day I was riding down the road with my son, and he said, you know, I've been thinking about, I'm interested in, and he named something, I don't even remember what he named. And then he looked at me and said, don't go buy me one, Dad. Because they just know that it's like, oh, you're interested in it? let me get you the stuff and all that. And, uh, and, and we don't always need all that. In fact, I found a, a little funny saying, and up here it makes more sense. All my kids like to hike. We like going on those trails and all. And I saw this little funny saying one time, and it said, uh, and hey, dude, with the expensive walking poles, 
uh, the, 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 the most expensive backpack, the hiking boots, you know, and all those things. My five-year-old did this trail last week in, in uh, Crocs carrying a Barbie doll. Chill out. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Right? I mean, think about hunters and fishermen, man. Oh, it's got to be all this camouflage. You got to get scent blocker and a certain kind of gun for a certain kind of hunt. You got to have this, this, and that. And then I look at pictures of Grandpa who went out in a red and black checkered shirt, you know, pair of khakis, and shot things, <laughs> you know? It's like, do we really need all that to do that, you know? And, 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 and we, we all do it. I remember my sister can play keyboards, piano. She's really good at it. One day, I want to learn to play guitar. I think every young person just about that gets interested in music wants to learn to play guitar. So at whatever age, she wants to play guitar. Our, one of our cousins bought her this guitar. And guitars, if they're decent at all, are expensive. All right? And so it was a really cheap one. And she never learned to play it. So I got to that age, because she's older than me, that where I wanted to learn the guitar, and there's this guitar sitting there in the closet she never used. So I got it out, and it is old. The strings are, are hard and tight and all that. And it's like, oh, man, this is a cheap guitar. And then a friend of mine who played very well came to the house and was like, I'd like to learn guitar. All I got is this cheap one. And he picked it up, tuned it, and it sounded great. Because he knew how to play it. It's not always the tool, it's our who we are, right? And I want you to catch these men knew something and how they lived their life resulted in amazing impact in, in society. It wasn't the equipment they had, it was who they were. And here's what I want you to take home with you today. Click. There you go. God intends for us to share our lives fully with one another. Key word in that sentence is Fully. Fully with one another. You're open to Acts 4. Would you stand up with me? Let's read verses 32 to, to the end of the chapter, verse 37. Six verses. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of land or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Would you join me in prayer before you sit down? Father, we thank you in Jesus' name as we approach your throne of grace. Lord, we pray right now that you would take your word and apply it to our hearts and our lives. Lord, we are not adequate for, uh, to even explain it. Uh, Lord, but we know that you have given the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for pouring the Holy Spirit out in the church. We ask that today, not that we can receive the Holy Spirit a second time, but you give us a fresh anointing, uh, just a fresh sensitivity to what the Spirit wants to say to us. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for living with us. And we pray now that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your word. Father, may your will be done in us. And we thank you. Amen. You can be seated if you want. 
God intends for us to share fully. I want you to catch the first phrase in this first verse. Notice what it says in verse 32, not verse 1, but first verse of our passage. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. I don't know if anybody in any church since then has been able to say that. That everybody in that church were of one soul and one heart. Think about that. There's 5,000 men plus others and they all had the same idea, the same heart, the same desire. They were one in love and they were one in purpose. They loved each other and they were one in their purpose. They all, and they, all that believed were that way. We, there, there's a phrase in, in Spanish that, even if you're not a Spanish speaker as I am not, that we are familiar with, mi casa su casa. My house is your house, is what that means. Me, my, me. Casa, C-A-S-A, house. Sue, you, your house. My house is yours. And, and, I, and I've said that. Hey, come by any time. What's mine is yours. Just don't go looking in my, you know, dresser drawers in my bedroom. Or, 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 and if you're from the south, you don't open another southerner's refrigerator. Because they might have beer. And, and you don't want to embarrass them. You know, Jews don't recognize the Muslims that... Catholics don't recognize the Protestants and Baptists don't recognize each other in the liquor store. <laughs> just in case you didn't know that. I'm just like, you know. So we need to, but, but they shared in their unity. They were, they were one. They were like one mind, one heart. You, 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 you see this in the most effective teams in the world where they almost don't need to communicate or their communication is very minute because they all are having the same thoughts at the same time. And that takes a lot of discipline, it takes a lot of practice, it takes a lot of training, it takes a lot of being together. And for God to take 5,000 men plus others that are being taught to have one heart, one, one purpose, that's an act of God. We, we let our lives get complicated. As I was describing earlier, you might be wondering, why did I use that? Like, I want to go buy all this equipment. It wasn't just about the equipment. It's about we get distracted so easily. And we, we understand God told us something. And immediately we want to do, we figure out how God's going to do it in our life. Like, we know we need to witness. So what do we do? We go buy books on witnessing or take a course on witnessing or whatever. Nothing wrong with any of that. But the fact is, if you've got a testimony, you can know how to witness. You can just tell people about Jesus. I told you several sermons ago about my friend. All he knew was it's fun being saved. And, and he started a discussion with an atheist in his high school. And the atheist was beating him up at first. But as he grew in the Lord, he learned. And he started countering the arguments with apologetics. To the point that eventually that Greek atheist became a Christian. is now has a PhD that has written books that are used in Christian seminaries and colleges. By the way, he went to Bob Jones. I know you know about that. So, just an amazing thing because he was willing to witness. This church has this one heart, this one love for one another. And as a group, they're focused with that one purpose. They have one soul. They have one desire. And notice there is no possessiveness amongst them. Because, it goes on to say, and no one said that anything, any of the things that belonged to him was his own. They, but they had everything in common. Now, a lot of people take this passage and they try to say that, you know, God wants us to live like communists where we share all our possessions. None of what they did was mandatory. It was all voluntary. But the fact is that they were willing to give up anything they owned to help someone else. 
you see, it's not what we have, it's, it's our attitude to what we have. Are you following me? Because you don't really own anything. I promise you, not, you, you don't own anything. You're going to die. And then it's going to belong to somebody else. So since you can't take it with you, it's not really yours. It's just loaned to you until you die. But I bought it. I earned it. Good for you, but you can't take it with you. You just spend a lot of money on something that's temporary. And if you, if you know finances at all, you know you don't do that. You buy stuff that appreciates in value, not deteriorates in value. And everything on this earth deteriorates in value. But everything in heaven increases in value, right? See, it only makes sense to serve God fully and 100%. I'm thinking about the guy in Matthew 19, 21. You can turn there if you want to. I got it marked in my Bible here uh, so I could get to it quickly. But it, it's the story of the rich guy. He comes to Jesus and he, and he starts this conversation and he asks, what must I do to go to heaven and to have eternal life? And bad question because there's nothing you can do. Actually, there are two ways to get to heaven. You can, you can either never sin or you can surrender to Christ. That's the only two ways. And the only guy was ever... Never sinned was Jesus. And so we're left with one, one option. The one option left is to surrender to Jesus. Amen. Yeah, I, I, y'all, I'm putting you to sleep, so I'll make sure you're still there. Yeah, it, it, the only way any of us get to heaven is through Christ. And so Jesus said, why are, you, why are you talking about good? The only one good is God. And then he said, you got to keep all the commandments. And then God said, which ones? Because <laughs> they knew he hadn't kept them all. And so Jesus names all the ones that relate only to men. He doesn't talk about the ones that relate to God. There's four that relate to God, six that relate to men, and the Ten Commandments. And he, meant, and he I've done all those since I was a baby. <laughs> I, don't, I doubt it. But Jesus doesn't say, I doubt it. He said, oh, well, then you're only lacking one thing. And he says, go and sell everything you own, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Now, it wasn't about... That all of us need to sell everything we own to follow Christ. But that guy did because his possessions were really his God. He loved his possessions more than he loved God. And I would give to you, I would posit with you, that all of us, all of us have something in our life that we love more than we love God. We've got something we will not surrender to God. And when you study the heroes of the Bible, many of them had something of value And that is the thing that God said, lay that down. And when they laid it down, God transformed it. And sometimes he'd let them pick it back up like Moses' staff. Like Peter being a fisherman. I mean, even after the resurrection, Peter said, I'm going fishing. And everybody went with him. Because that was the one thing he knew how to do. And he didn't do it so well that day. Jesus pointed that out to him in a very dramatic way. Read John 21. Great chapter in the Bible. And over and over and over, somebody who had something like Paul, he's a leader among the Jews. He even later gives his testimony. He said, you think you're a Jew? I got more to brag about than you. And he starts listing out his credentials. And he said, but all of that I count as rubbish for the excellency of knowing Christ. Because Christ had become everything to him. And he had lost all things for the sake of Christ. But if you take out all the other words in Matthew 19 and verse 21... Here's what you get left. Jesus said, the whole verse says, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And if you just follow the verbs, it's go, sell, give, come, follow. So 
when you realize the call of God, you go get rid of the stuff that keeps you from God, get, make sure it benefits somebody as you get rid of it, and then come to Christ and follow Him. And that's what God calls each of us to do as, as believers and as a church. And Vance Havner pointed out one time that Paul had to be the most frustrating person to Satan that, that maybe ever lived. And he was basing it on a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10. And it's the last half of that verse. And here's what the verse says. As having nothing yet possessing everything. And, and Vance Abner said, can you imagine Satan coming to Paul and saying, hey, Paul, if you'll just quit this Christianity stuff and you follow me, I will give you all the riches of the world. And Paul looks at him and says, you can't. I possess everything already. And he goes, oh, you're going to be smart with me? Fine, I'm going to take away everything you own. He says, you can't. I don't own anything. And that's the tension that we live in the Christian life. We understand that our possessions are only borrowed. Our children are only borrowed. And it is our job to launch them into the world to make a difference for Jesus Christ. That is your job as a parent. To teach them and train them in the ways of God. So no matter what their, their vocation is in this life, they will be effective for the spread of the gospel in this world. Okay. Amen or no? Or as the kids say on, well, I don't know if they still say it, yes or nah. Yeah, that's our job. To launch out our children into, into we don't own anything. And so they shared in their unity. They shared in their witness. They had great power. Notice that in verse 33. In, in Acts 4, 33. It says there, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. If you'll notice as we go through Acts, the preaching in Acts, we preach the cross and we got to understand the cross. But they preach the resurrection. Why? Because that's the power of God. That's what proves Jesus as who he said he was and is. If Jesus had stayed dead, this would be a religion and it wouldn't be worth wasting our time and money on. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if we believe in Christ only in this life, we're of all men most miserable. You see, there's something coming that's better than this. And the reason we can give up our possessions instead of trying to use God to get possessions, as some teach, so that you can live your best life now. If you're living your best life now, you're going to hell. Because I guarantee you, heaven's better than this. And I'm living my worst life right now. It's when I die, I'm going to find my best life. Amen? If you struggle with that, I'll help you later. All right? You can come talk to me. But these, they, they were witnessing to the resurrection of Christ. You killed him, but he's alive. You killed him, but he's alive. So we can't say that. Oh, really? You killed him. I killed him. My sin put Jesus on the cross. But he rose from the dead that I could be forgiven and you can be forgiven too. And that's the nature of their preaching. That's the nature of their witness. And they shared in their witness. They're giving testimony of the resurrection. And notice, it wasn't just the apostles that had grace. It says there in verse 33, And great grace was upon them. All means all. That's all all means. 
Everybody had grace. Grace is a word we, we sing about amazing grace on. We don't understand the word. We've used it so much in church as we should without defining it that people don't understand it. We talk about saving grace and that grace of God saves me. That's true. But it is also what empowers me to live the life God calls me to live. You see, I can't surrender all without his grace. I can't sell all that I have without his grace. I can't give away what is mine, what I think is mine, without his grace, without his power. And the Bible is saying here that as they obeyed God, God gave them more power to do what they were supposed to do. And that's how it always works. God never orders off the menu that he doesn't pay for it, but I've never paid for a meal before I got it in a restaurant. They bring it to you, you eat, now you owe them. God gave you grace, now you owe him, and as you live out your life, God says, I'll give you grace, and as you obey, he gives you what you need to do that. And then the last thing we see is not only do they share in unity and share in their witness, but they share in their goods and what they owned. There are no needy people, is what it says. Look at verse 34. There's not a needy person among them. And why not? Because if you own houses or land and you saw somebody in need, you now you've got to understand the context here. This isn't that long after the, the, the Pentecost experience. And so at Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. Y'all with me on that? Now, how many were in the church when 3,000 got saved that Sunday? 120. Now, suddenly a church of 120 is 3,120. And everybody got saved were tourists. We used to have bumper stickers in Charleston said, why they call it tourist season if you can't shoot them? That, that was ugly, but I, I, just saying it said that. I didn't own one. I'm just saying I saw it. Now you've got 3,000 people that aren't from here, and where are they going? They can't find a home church back at home because there are no churches. There's only one. It's in Jerusalem. So they stayed there to learn from the apostles. And now 120 people are having to meet the needs of 3,000 people. How does that work? Well, they ran out of resources pretty fast because these guys didn't have a whole lot either. And so those people, and we don't know all the details. We can, maybe if you're really interested, you can check that out in heaven. But maybe they sold what they had back at home and said, hey, we'll contribute to helping everybody. And, and you know, in modern days, people have, have abused uh, the, 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 the trust that people have for them. But notice they laid it at the apostles' feet and the apostles distributed it. Somewhere along the lines, they start keeping the money. My, my kids are on vacation this week or last week, have been. And they went to Italy, and that sounds like a big deal to us, but it cost them $36 a person to get from Israel to Italy. Yeah, that's why people travel in Europe. It's cheap to get everywhere. It's not, also not that far. But anyway, so, so they've been there, and they've been sending us pictures, and it is amazing. It's majestic. And they've been in Vatican City, and it is unreal to see that. And I've seen pictures before, but since my kid took the pictures, like, good night, look at this. I got a different perspective on it. And it's no wonder St. Bernard said to the Pope when he said, well, Bernard, no longer can Peter say silver and gold have I none. And Bernard said, and neither can he say, rise, take up your bed and walk. You see, when we start thinking that what belongs to God belongs to us, we lose the power. They were selling and giving and they had power. And as soon as we started keeping it, we lost power. We lost power. Because, well, God didn't give it to us to keep. He gave it to us to use. 
and we're going to die and leave it anyway, right? There was extreme giving. Again, it is not necessary. You don't have to do it. But when people would see a need and go, you know what? I got this field over here and I'm not farming it and I don't even need it. And I'm going to sell that and I'm going to give that money. Or maybe they did need it, but they sacrificed and did it anyway. And they were giving and giving and giving to meet the needs. And in fact, they eventually run out of resources because later in Acts, after Paul gets you know, saved and everything gets going right, he starts, they get dispersed by 70 AD. They're really dispersed, but the church starts falling under persecution. So people start leaving, going to other areas. And Paul makes a tour of those areas saying, hey, the church in Jerusalem needs help. And they're the ones that sent you out here. So let's take up an offering. Y'all start keeping money and give it to me and I'll take it back to the church in Jerusalem because they needed help. You see that in Acts and, and, and a lot of the letters uh, refer to that, especially the Corinthian letters. But Barnabas is given to us as an example, a, a good example of what was going on. It says that in verse uh, 36, that's Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was just an encourager. Man, I, you, you need a guy like that, don't you? A Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, in the next chapter, we're going to see how voluntary this is. It's a real dramatic story. You can read Acts 5 for yourself if you want to. But man, what a story we're going to start getting into next week. But, but I want you to catch that they shared in their goods. And they, no man said, this belongs to me and I'm not going to share it. Paul sums up what's going on here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And again, you don't have to turn there. But, but I'd like to point it out in the last few verses of that chapter. And he, says, and he says this, if I can get my pages not to stick. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in them, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or the, or the world or life or death or present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Here's what he's saying. Anything you've got belongs to Jesus, and Jesus belongs to God, the Father. They're the Trinity. They, they have it. And so everything in your life belongs to them. And notice what was going on people started feeling like big shots in the church. See, this goes to more than possessions. People want to have position in the church, right? Well, I'm the senior pastor. Therefore, now, Jesus' example was he was a servant to everyone. Go back and read John 13, when Jesus washed their feet. Compare it to Philippians, and you start to see a, a parallel that what Jesus did in life, he illustrated in John 13 by washing their feet. That he, being in the form of God, thought equality with God, not something to be held on to, but emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. And being found in fashion as a servant, he humbled himself and obeyed God even to the point of death on a cross. Well, you know what, start, what he says before all that? He says, let this mind that was in Christ be in you also. That we are called to empty ourselves. And give everything to God and serve other people. The most important person in this church, other than Christ, is somebody else. That's how you ought to think. That, that everybody else is more important than me. 
And if we don't think that way, listen, if I had a, if I, if I had a business, I don't. And I had employees, which I don't. And something needed to be done, and I asked them to do it, and they said, that's not my job. That'd be the last day he worked for me. Because if there's a need, it's all of our responsibility until it gets done. That's how they were thinking here in Acts 4. Hey, there's needy. That's our job. Wait, anybody, hey, I, got, I got a field. I'll just sell my field. I don't need it. Here, here's the money. I got a house. I can sell it. Here's the money. And they did that. And nobody had any need. You got 5,000 men plus women and children. Started with a church of 120. Now it's 5,120 plus more that we don't even know about. And everybody's needs are being met. Well, we would organize that thing to death, but I don't know how well we'd get it done. But they just got it done. If you're sitting there, I want you to do something for me, please. Please, everybody do this. If you have a watch, even if it's on your phone, take it and remind yourself you got a watch. The timekeeper. Whatever it is. However you keep time. And then get out your keys. Everybody get out your keys. This is also called a Baptist tambourine. Because you know we don't want to get all charismatic and start using instruments that aren't the piano or organ. Those didn't exist in the Bible. Somebody pointed out to me, see... I had a lady one time, I said that, she said, no, there is a, the piano is in the Bible, because it says that they had stringed instruments, and the piano is a stringed instrument, I said, no ma'am, she was just showing her musical ignorance, I said, no ma'am, it's actually a percussion instrument, because a hammer strikes a string, and it's not a stringed instrument, it's a percussion instrument, then she was confused, so I just let her go, (laughs) you know what this represents, your life. Not only the life you're living, because you get up at a certain time to get to work on a certain time, because you got to do stuff before you get to go to work, and you get up, you do all those things, you go to work, you come home at a certain time because you get off work, most of us, some of y'all have jobs that might not happen, and, and then you eat supper and you go to bed so you can do it again tomorrow, and this runs your life, but it, it stands for more than that. You see, if this were my life, one day that watch will stop, and I'll be dead. In my other hand, I have a set of keys. Uh, Where'd it go? This is my truck key. This is my house key, and these are church keys. You might be a pastor if you have more keys than the middle school janitor. I got a bunch of them. So that represents home, that represents a possession, that represents work. And what's going to happen to all that when my life ends? Somebody else is going to own my truck. Somebody else is going to buy my house, and you'll have a different pastor at Calvary. So it's not, none of it's mine, Dad. I, I, I don't own anything. I don't have anything that I can say is mine, except those folks that I've been able to share the gospel with and are in heaven. And I can't say they're mine, but that's the only thing that's going to last forever. A man that I saw come to Christ in a former church some 20 four or five years ago now, who's now a church planner in Syracuse, New York, sent me a text the other day, made me cry. And he said, we just saw two people saved. And it's because of things you taught me 20 years ago. And he said, I just wanted you to know these are yours in heaven. I'm like, no, they're not. 
They're his. They're Christ's. And God just uses us. So when you get to heaven, what are you going to have to show for it? Well, you don't understand, Lord, I had this really big, nice house, and I owned about a gazillion cars and boats and land. And he's going to say, I made all that, and I own it. You don't own anything. I don't rent. It's mine. None of us will ever stand before God and talk about the sacrifice we made. He who made heaven and earth put on flesh and dwelt among us that we might behold his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And you going to talk to him about sacrifice? I don't think so, Tim. And it's not going to happen. Well, what can we do about it this week? I, I'll, I'll leave it to God to give you better applications than I have, but here's three suggestions. First of all, ask God where your heart is out of sync with the Holy Spirit in order to share heart and soul with the body. We all ought to be sharing heart and soul in the body of Christ. And if you and I disagree, either we're both wrong or one of us is wrong. But God's never wrong, right? So we could both be wrong, that's a possibility. Or one of us is wrong, that's a possibility. But God's not wrong. So if we would find out where is my heart not in sync with what the Holy Spirit is saying, I can figure out where I need to move to fix things. Now, well, that's important. I'll let you apply that. You know how to do that. Secondly, what is blocking your effectiveness for Christ? They shared the resurrection with power. How come we don't have the power of God to witness? How come we don't have the power of God to share Jesus with someone in need? What is blocking your effectiveness in Jesus Christ? And then, and thirdly, find an area where God might ask you to give something up in order to share with someone in need. 